Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You got to look for the love of God when you're hurting in the desert, when you're running from your son who wants your head on a platter. You got to say, you know what? When someone comes and is nice to me, when someone comes and is loyal to me, those are messengers of God. And they're being used by God to remind us in the midst of our desert that He loves us. If you're in the midst of a trial, then you know how difficult it can be to see any sort of bright side. But no matter what you're going through, God loves you and is trying to show you that. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is challenging our natural reactions in a message he has titled, Believing God Cares When It's Hard to Believe. Even though everything in us wants to focus on what's going wrong, we've got to look for God's love. Well, here's Pastor Mike. your finger in 2 Samuel 17. We'll be right back. But in Psalm 3, clearly the title says that this is a psalm that David wrote while he was fleeing from his son Absalom. Notice the things that were going through his mind. And when I read the lyrics of this song, I'm convinced that David got it. He was getting it. He understood that though his circumstances looked really bad, he had a confidence. He had a faith that even though everything would point to the contrary, he was saying, I believe God still loves me even if my life really stinks. Look what he says. Verse 1. Oh, Yahweh, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? There's the context. Bad day. Running from my son is bad. Everyone's turned against me. Many are saying of me, here's the commentary of the man on the street, God will not deliver him. You just see him. Ah, you know, poor guy. God is not going to get him out of this jam. All the circumstances led to that obvious and logical conclusion. God is not for David this time. God has forsaken David. God does not care about David. God is not paying attention to David's need. God is not going to deliver David. All those things were things that people were saying. But look at verse 3. David had a different resolve. He had a different level of faith and confidence in God. He said, you know, that may look that way, but... I am confident that God is a shield around me. Yahweh, you bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. Do you see what that's saying? I mean, my my head is in the dirt right now and I'm in big, big trouble and I need lots of protection. But you know what? I I have confidence that God is going to be my deliverer. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my shield around me. He's going to lift up my head when, when my head is in the dirt. What does that assume about God? What is the assumption David is making? He's assuming God loves me. My life stinks, but God loves me. My circumstances are bad, and everybody else is going to look at my life and say, it's bad, God doesn't like him anymore, and I'm going to be confident that God loves me. That's huge. Put it this way in your outline if you're taking notes. If you've got the worksheet out, the first thing you need to write down is this. You and I as Christians, it's the challenge of our life. It was the challenge of David's life. He succeeded. Let us succeed. Here's what we need to do. Refuse to doubt God's love. That's what it comes down to. Refuse to doubt God's love. God has promised to love his kids, not because they're lovely, not because they're good, but because he is a loving God who commits himself to his adopted kids. And if that is true, no matter if he lets us go into the desert for a while, no matter if things get really bad in my health, my relationships, my finances, it doesn't matter. God is loving us. He may be working behind the scenes like he was in the court of Absalom, but he loves us. He never forsakes us. He never loses his attention on us. How much attention does God give you? 
How much attention does God give your life? The Bible says in Luke chapter 12, as Jesus stood there teaching the crowds, he says, you know the sparrows? You can buy, you can buy five of them for two cents. He says, there's not one of those birds that God's not paying special attention to. And you know what? Your life, how much more do you think it's worth to God than those birds? And he put it this way. He said, you are so much the center of God's attention that down to the minute details of your life, God is checking on you all the time. How much so? Here's what he puts out. I love it. Every hair on your head is numbered. And that changes all the time, right? Check the drain on your shower, right? <laughs> it's changing all the time. And God is tracking that. God is, is noticing what's going on in your life to what extent. If you're his kid, to the most minute extent of your life. Oh, but I don't feel God. Doesn't matter. You better believe he loves you. Oh, I don't see God in my circumstances. It doesn't matter. You better believe that he loves you. I don't think God's paying much attention to my dilemma right now. Don't believe that. You must refuse to doubt that God loves you because that's the promise for his kids. Never leave you, never forsake you. His love is constant. Back to 2 Samuel 17. Not only did David have to have this incredible faith, and based on the song that he wrote, I think he had it, that he believed that God still cared, even though he was unlovely, even though that he was reaping what he had sown, even though that he wasn't the best person in all the world, he believed that God loved him because God had committed himself to love him. But there were some very, very tangible reminders that are going to show up in verse 15. Look at it. Verse 15, it says, Hushai told Zadok and Abathar. Now remember who those guys are. They're two of the priests that hung out in Jerusalem after David had left. And they said, we'll be for you, Dave. We'll do whatever you want us to do. We'll be there for you and we will help as, as, your, as your helpers in the midst of your crisis. And they were risking their lives to do it and so was Hushai. Hushai was there in, in front of the king that could have killed him. And those three words should have been just wonderful reminders to David that, that God loved him. Why? Because Hushai, Zadok, and Abathar were all there as loyal, faithful people. And in this case, it says they were telling all of what had happened in the king's court. And in verse 16, they were sending the messengers to go tell. And you might remember in verse 17, Jonathan and Ahimaaz were the two sons of the priest who were going to serve as the couriers and transport of this information. And if you've read this uh, recently, you might remember if you drop your eyes to the next few verses there, they were risking their lives in very real ways. The risk was high. They were hiding in wells as the king's men came after them. And they were climbing out of the wells and running across the desert to go tell David what was going on. And David, I'm sure, when Ahimaaz and Jonathan showed up and said, here, David, here's what's going on. And they told him this in verse 16. You got to cross the fords of the desert. Don't stay there. Or the fords of the Jordan. Uh, of the river, you got to cross without fail because if you don't, you're going to get swallowed up. Keep moving east, Dave. Go, go, go. And when David hears that news and it says there in verse 22, David and all the people set out and crossed the Jordan and by daybreak, not one person had not crossed the Jordan. What does that mean? Everybody in the entire clan of David now was out of the country and they kept moving east. Actually, they moved northeast and they kept moving up and out. That's interesting. That's interesting because if David had any sense about him, he's going to look at those guys and say, you guys have saved my life. He's going to look in the eyes of Jonathan and Jimenez and says, you know, when you guys get back, be sure and hug Abathar and Zadok and be sure and give, give, give Hushai a big high five and tell him that I'm so grateful because obviously you guys all really love me. And he could look in the eyes of those guys and say, you are loyal and faithful friends and I really see the love that you have for me by all that you've done for me. You've really been good friends to me. Now, perhaps if he said that and that's all he said, he would have missed the point. 
I would hope that David would have looked beyond the messenger and would have recognized that these messengers were not just messengers expressing the love of a small group of people in Jerusalem that cared about David. I hope that he would see that they were really messengers of, of God. Why do I say that? That sounds pretty, uh, pretty subjective. Let me show it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn there in your Bibles with me and look at this. This is the principle of Scripture. This is how it always seems to work in the pages of the Bible. God is a God who loves us, but God is a God who uses tools, human tools, to love us. That's what he does. Look at it with me, if you would. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 5. Paul tells a little bit about a desert experience he had. He was out in Macedonia doing a missionary journey that was absolutely falling apart. He says, this body of ours, verse number five, had no rest. We were harassed on every turn, conflicts in the outside, fears within. This is a bad, bad, bad experience for him. And if you know anything about the book of Acts, he was getting stoned. He was, he was being thrown out of town. He was being beat up. He was being rejected by everyone. And he just had a terrible time. And he says, inside, I was just fill, filled with anxiety and fears. But in the midst of my desert experience, look at it, verse 6. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us. Now, look at that. Question, who comforts the downcast, according to this verse? God. That's not, that's not a trick question. It's real easy. Who comforts the downcast? God. Who was downcast? Paul. Was he going to be comforted? You bet he was. So look at how he does it. God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by throwing some magical dust on us and giving us a real neat subjective feeling of comfort when we were hurting. And after sitting and meditating on a rock for a long time and smelling the pine needles out there in the middle of Macedonia, I began to feel refreshed. And God gave me a big, big invisible hug. Do you see that there in verse 6? That's what, what it says. God comforts the downcast. The invisible God who's enthroned in heaven in unapproachable light. God does comfort the downcast, but here's how he does it. God comforts the downcast. God comforted us by the coming of who? Titus, a real person, a guy with a beard and brown eyes and a funny hat and a cane, perhaps, and a backpack. Came rolling into my camp and said, hey, Paul, I hear you're hurting. You know, I brought a few things for you. Here's some raisin cakes or something to eat. You know, I just want to bring, bring you some news, too, from the Corinth, Corinthian church. And man, they're really, they're really moving. They care about you and they, they miss you. And you know what? I, 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 you're one of my heroes. You know that? Paul, you, you've been such an inspiration to me. And I know you're hurting right now, but let me tell you some encouraging things. Paul, can we pray together? Let's just get down on our knees and pray. I know you're hurting. And we, maybe I could just lead us in prayer. All this was going on. Got done with prayer. There tears down there. Titus stands up, give Paul a big hug. Man, I love you. Be encouraged. And Paul says, you know what? God comforts the downcast, but he does it by using people. He takes guys like Titus and prompts them one day to go to Macedonia. And, and he wakes up in the morning and says, Paul, I wonder how he's doing. You know, he's not doing too. I'm going to go see him. And God takes people out of their chair and moves them into the life of other people. And God is using those people as messengers. They're messengers of God's love. They don't even sometimes recognize it. They think they're just caring. And, and, and sometimes on the receiving end of it, we just think, well, those are nice people. Unless, of course, you're a cynic and a skeptic. And if you're like me, sometimes in the midst of your trial, someone comes in and tries to encourage you. And if you're like me, you go, mm, yeah, great. Yeah, oh, no, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, you give them the big smile and you say, thanks for coming and I appreciate your note and all your help. That's great. You know, it's like, they don't know nothing about what I'm going through. You know, and, and, and you start to put them at arm's distance. Do you do that sometimes? When you do that, you gotta be really, really, really careful. 
Because sometimes you got people coming into your life trying to encourage you, say the right things, writing you notes. And you know what? It's not really them. Oh, it is them. And they're making decisions with their mind. But God is at work behind all that. And he's using those people as messengers. And he's saying things to you. You wouldn't turn up your nose at what God says. If you walked into the presence of God in heaven and you stood there before the throne, you would listen, right? Well, I'm not saying the words of your friends are inspired, but I am saying that God may be motivating those people and bringing them around you to say those things. Because in reality, we talk about God comforting the downcast. God has never hugged anybody. You realize that in the modern day, right? No one gets a hug from God. God uses people to do that. God has never written you a personal note. I know sometimes you romanticize the Bible. Oh, it's a note from God and all that. But it's not, right? Your name is not on it and your address wasn't on the cover of it when it, when it got delivered. It's not to you. It's to all of us. How does God give you specific encouragement? He uses people. I put it this way in your outline. Very important for us. And it was very important for David. Not just to say, oh, those are really nice people. He had to look beyond those people. I put it this way. He needed to look for it. That is God's love. Look for God's love in his messengers. Because God sends those messengers to us. And those messengers are bringing God's love. Now, that may sound really sappy and syrupy for you macho types here. But listen to me, if you are hurting and you say, I want God to help me, God is going to use people to help you. If you're feeling downcast and depressed and bummed out and you're hitting bottom and you got conflicts in your life, God is going to use real people with real words, writing real notes, saying real things, praying next to you in a real room. He's going to use those people and they will be his messengers. You need to elevate that, not turn your nose up at it. Not be a cynic and think, ah, oh, they really don't know. They're just trying to be nice. Or even, even worse, being so enamored with their love and not recognizing their love is simply a reflection of God's love towards you. You've got to look for the love of God when you're hurting in the desert, when you're running from your son who wants your head on a platter. You've got to say, you know what? When someone comes and is nice to me, when someone comes and is loyal to me, those are messengers of God. And they're being used by God to remind us in the midst of our desert that he loves us. 2 Samuel chapter 17 not only shows us these guys doing what they were doing and giving David a reminder, a tangible reminder of how much God loved him, it got even more tangible and more clear in the next few verses. Verse 24, David successfully gets out of town. A little side note in verse 23, by the way, that if Ahithophel, after his advice wasn't followed, realizing perhaps that the advice was bad, or maybe being so egotistical he couldn't take it, either way, maybe a combination of both, he goes out and hangs himself. But in verse 24, David, regardless of all of that, on the advice of his faithful friends, takes off. He goes to a place called Mahanaim. Mahanaim was a place about 20 miles east, further east, right, than the Jordan River. And it was right next to the, the kingdom of the Ammonites. And you might remember back in chapter 10, it rings a bell, the Ammonites were on Dave's bad list. They were because when David tried to show niceness and kindness, rather, to the nation of, of the Ammonites, they ended up picking a fight with him and he ended up making them all, turning them all into slaves and into forced labor. So now he's in kind of hostile territory, or at least right on the border of hostile territory. But he found a good city to hang out in because Mahanaim played a critical role in the history of the development of the monarchy and it was a fortified city. It had walls, it was a big place for Dave to hang out. And so he was there. Thankfully, he had time to kind of assemble, get his family there and take a position and get ready for whatever battle was about to ensue. But the interesting thing that the Bible says down in verse 27 about his arrival at Mahanaim is that there were some guys that showed up. And it describes these guys. One of them was even from the Ammonite territory. 
people you wouldn't expect to be nice to David. But in verse 28, it says all three of these guys that came with their entourage brought some stuff. Verse 28, they brought bedding. They brought bowls. They bought articles of pottery. They brought wheat and barley and flour and roasted grain and beans and lentils and honey and curds and sheep and cheese from cow's milk for David and his men to eat. Now, that's an amazing statement. Here are these people from kind of unexpected sources giving Dave tangible gifts. Here, Dave, here's some beans, you know, make a burrito or whatever, right? Here's some, some milk and some cheese and, and, you know, here's some stuff for you to eat and bedding. We brought some, you know, brought some sleeping bags here for you and, and, and we know you need these. And it says in the bottom of verse 29 that, that their thoughts were, yeah, the people had become hungry and tired and thirsty in the desert. Now that to them was just news they heard through the grapevine, but who really knew about how thirsty and how tired they were? Who really knew how hungry these people were? God did. God knew intimately David's needs. He knew his hurts. And God brings in not just some basic provisions, brings in a lot of neat stuff. I mean, that's a pretty impressive ancient uh, Near Eastern grocery list right there. There's some pretty neat, you know, exotic things there that are going to help these people make it. And God brings in not just what he needs. He brings in a bunch of stuff of what he wants. And you know what God is saying through those things? Real simple. Three words. I love you. I love you. Now, Dave started out in the desert in verse 1. And guess what? In verse 29, he's still in the desert. But what's ensuing is God's at work in the first few verses, reminding David never to doubt his love. There are people loving David, and that should be a reminder that God is loving David through them. And then he ends up with a bunch of stuff. And when he gets all this stuff, they ought to be reminders that they're tokens of God's love. Because the Bible is really clear. Every good, every good and perfect gift comes from people that are really nice to me, right? Is that what it says? Every good and perfect gift ultimately comes from, from God. And God is giving those gifts. And every gift that God gives, though you can't read it and it's invisible, there's a little note attached. If they're coming from God, there's a message there. And we got to look at those gifts and we need to interpret them. If you're taking notes, that's the third thing. Always interpret God's gifts. Because you know what you're going to find when you start to slap open that invisible note? You're going to see in that note, I love you. I love you. I'm giving you needs. I'm giving you wants. I'm meeting your desires. And I want to show you, though I'm not solving all the problems of your life right now because I got a plan for this desert experience, I want these tokens of my loving kindness to always remind you that I love you. I love you. Remember when you were kids and had the neighborhood birthday party and you were the recipient of all the neat gifts and kids would bring all these presents in all wrapped up and you know, if they brought up right, they usually attach a little note on the, on the present, right? Now tell me, if, if you were like me, selfish and, and immature, you know, how much did you really care about the note, right? You didn't care about the note. I wasn't interested in the note. If there was a note attached, you were hoping there wasn't going to be a lot in it because you didn't want to, you know, you'd speed read it perhaps because you're not interested in the note. You want to get to the gift. Then you start ripping open the gift. Oh, thanks, man. And it's the gift. But interesting what happens when we get older. We start getting older, there's a big shift that takes place. Matter of fact, some of us are at the place of maturity in our life. When we get a gift, the note seems to matter more than the gift, right? Because it expresses what the gift's all about. And it may be that we linger over the note. And I've seen people, you know, with the note, they, they read the note and they cry. They get up and they hug it. Oh, I love you. Oh, thank you. And then it's like the gift, man. The gift, right? <laughs> they're, they're, they're enamored with the note. You know, in our immaturity, we can treat God the same way. We can take the gifts and not even think about what it means or what it says. 
God gives us something new, gives us some, some things, some new job, some relationship, some, some mode of transportation, a new house. And, and we can just say, God, I just want to enjoy that gift. And God is trying to say something to us. Perhaps it's in the midst of some trials in our lives. He's trying to look us in the eye and say, would you read the note, please? The note is that I, I love you. And perhaps in our maturity, we might grow to the place in our spiritual life that much like our physical life, we look at the note and we ponder the note and we read the note. Because we want to know by the gifts that God gives us that, man, you're saying something by this, God. And, you know, when someone says, I love you, you know, there's a strange thing that takes place. I remember uh, it's been almost uh, 18 years ago, first time I told Carla and I loved her. I remember saying, you know, it's such a scary experience, right? You just, I love you, you know. And then there's that that awkward silence, like, you know, (laughs) and you're waiting. And I remember that as a kid, you know, saying that to, to, to Carlin and, and saying, you know, uh, I love you, and then, then waiting. And, and it was interesting because I was preparing for the sermon. I thought this week, and when I, when I say I love you to my wife, and here we are, you know, almost two decades later, and I say that, and there's still that kind of, you know. <laughs> I mean, I don't say I love you to hear it, but there's that kind of natural compliment to that. I say, honey, I, I love you. And it's like, you know what? God does not say I love you to hear it from us. But it sure is nice when he hears it from us. And he sends us these gifts and these reminders and tokens of his loving kindness in our life. Could we write a few thank you notes this week and just say, God, I love you too. I love you too. And I know there's a lot of bad things in my life or hurtful things or painful things, perhaps if there is in your life. But you know what? I'll never doubt your love. And when people are nice to me in the midst of my crisis, I'll see you in their faces And God, when there's gifts that surround me, whether they're meager and they're just lentils and beans, you know, or whether it's some nice new place to live, whatever it is, God, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, God, I I love you too, because I can see your love and the gifts that you give. Well, may this message serve as a reminder to you that you can't be any more loved by God than you are today. He can't love you anymore. He can't love you any less. God is a God that has demonstrated his love for you. And no matter what's going on in your life, he loves you. He tries to show it through the people he surrounds you with, and he tries to show it through the gifts that he gives you. And one day when we meet him face to face, we'll recognize that sometimes the desert experiences in the big picture of things was even an act of his love too. I gotta be confident. If I'm his kid, he loves me. You're listening to Focal Point and a message called Believing God Cares When It's Hard to Believe from Pastor Mike Fabares. If you'd like the study notes, or if you'd like to listen to the complete message without interruption, go to focalpointradio.org. You can also stream the program anytime by downloading the Focal Point mobile app. Well, there's no better reminder that God loves us, just as we are, than by studying the lives of imperfect people that God has used throughout history. By looking back at stories from faith heroes of the past and present, we can be encouraged to press on and trust God even when it's difficult. This month, we're featuring an empowering book written by Dr. George Sweeting called The Pursuit of Excellence. You'll be inspired by the many examples of believers who have pursued and reached excellence in their lives, and you'll be encouraged to consider your own pursuit to fulfill God's call for your life. When you make a donation to support Focal Point today, we'll send you a copy of Dr. Sweeting's book as our way of saying thanks. 
Just call us at 888-320-5885. You can also give online at focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to ask for the book, The Pursuit of Excellence, when you get in touch. You know, we work hard to make Pastor Mike's teaching available for you in as many formats as we can. But none of it is possible without the generous donations of your fellow listeners. If you've given to support this ministry in the past, thank you. We truly appreciate you. And if you've never contacted us before, please get in touch. When you do, we'll send you a pamphlet all about knowing God's will. Let us know you're listening when you call 888-320-5885. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for our weekly feature called Ask Pastor Mike. We're addressing a question that weighs heavy on the minds of many Christians. Can I ever lose God's love? It's an important subject with eternal implications. Learn the answer when you join us Friday for Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org. And then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.